Welcome to Katusa First. We're a community of servants that love to serve our community. And every Sunday we gather together to work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. We do this so we can't skip the hard stuff. And it's always fun to wrestle with God's word because it means we're growing as we go. Man, that's difficult. How do I live that out? What do I do with that? What does this mean, right? How, what is it God is trying to say? And so this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Bunch of cheaters. You have to, next week, I'm just going to go to a different book, right? Now you'll be thrown off. You won't know what's coming. Uh, this is the last week that Logan will be here for just a little bit. He's got to travel for about a month. He'll be gone for about five weeks. We have loved him leading worship, and he will be back. To continue leading worship, his dad is going to fill in. Uh, his dad, Daniel, uh, was a part of a church where I was interim pastor at for a long time. And uh, for, I guess, about a year or so. I say long time, but a long time ago for a year. And he does a phenomenal job. So we're lucky that uh, such a musically talented family uh, will continue to help us lead and worship. So, Daniel, we're glad you're here and your wife. And uh, appreciate you filling in. So thank you so much. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. Verse 12, before I start reading, let me just remind you what we talked about a little bit last week. Because Jesus had this statement that was quite unusual. And it's verse 10, and it says that you have been filled in him. And what we began to understand is this term filled in him means fulfilled. That you find your fulfillment in Jesus. And I think all of us, we say, what do you want? And if I was to ask you, what is it you want out of life? You might not use that exact terminology, but essentially what you would come to is like, I just want to be fulfilled. I want to be content. I, I, don't, I don't want to be worried about all the stuff going on in the world or all the shame from my past or all of this stuff. I just want to live a life that is fulfilled. And this is what everybody is trying to sell you. Every commercial... Every politician, they promise you utopia. If you, if you buy this or if you do this or if you follow me, then I will lead you into some kind of fulfillment or utopia. But a politician does not know the way. An advertising company does not know the way to utopia. Utopia is the Garden of Eden. Genesis begins with a tree. Revelations ends with a tree. And so we are on our way back to the garden. It's the great reversal. And what Jesus is doing is leading us back to utopia. And we won't fully get there until Jesus returns. But until then, that doesn't mean that we have to wander around lost. Because scripture says that he can fulfill us. If I was to ask you guys today to raise your hands, and I won't, but just think. I'd say, are you fulfilled? Are you fulfilled right now? Or do you have a wish list of wants and needs and desires? What do you need to be fulfilled? We talked about this last week. There's a couple of things that you need. You need to have your needs met. Food and clothes. Scripture says that uh, look at the lilies of the field. Look how well they're clothed. Look at the birds. Are they, are they storing away? No, God provides for them. And if he loves you and you're his child, don't you think he'll take just as good of care as you? Those are your needs. Now, we've elevated other things to the position of need, but let's be honest, those are wants. There are things you want. 
Your wants are not guaranteed, but your needs are. God will supply all your needs. And so you need that. And then there's two other things that I think that you need to be fulfilled. And I make a scriptural argument for this last week. But here's the two other things that I think um, resonate with me in order for fulfillment. My needs met, my past forgiven, and my future secure. Right? So sociologists say most people make decisions based upon two things. Regret from the past and worry for the future. Well, my sins of the past have been taken care of, so I'm good. My future is in the hands of God, so I'm okay. This allows me, unlike any other religion, Christianity promises the ability that you can actually live for today. That you can be still and know that he is God. See, most of you, you come here in church, and if the sermon's not that great, your brain's going to wander over to Monday. I've got to get all this done on Monday. Okay, so I just need to make this little list. Oh, I'm already stressed. And it's the weekend, and you can't even enjoy the weekend because you're so worried about Monday because of all the things that you have to do. You're worried about the future. For some of you, you're here at church and you're like, man, I probably shouldn't even be here because I know I haven't been living my life the way I should have been. And this last week was really bad and, and I'm still hung over or whatever it is, right? You're like, I just don't, I don't feel like I belong here. Well, that's the regret from your past. So that's been taken care of. So my past and my future are insecure. I can be fulfilled. But how does he do that? That's the question Paul is going to answer this morning. How did that fulfillment work? So if you got your Bible, Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. If you got it, would you say, I got it? I got it. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That word all should be underlined in your Bible. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by tromping over them. So it's not that just Paul makes this huge claim that you can be fulfilled in Christ. He goes to the links to tell you how this actually works. He talks about baptism. and We had a baptism last week. And what is it we say when we baptize somebody? Buried with him in death, raised again to walk in newness of life. So he's reminding these Christians who might, like they're struggling because they have allowed uh, their past religions, traditions, and legalism to enter into their freedom and re-enslave them. So they believe that, yes, we are saved by grace through faith plus circumcision. So it's great. You want to get saved, guys? You want to love Jesus? That's great. Come down to the altar. We'll baptize you. And then uh, one of the elders will perform a small operation in the back. The church was not going to grow nearly the way it's grown. Right? Like, well, I'm going to opt out of this one. I'll, just, I'll watch online. Right? <laughs> because what they have done is they have brought their Judaism into Christianity. And this is something that has to be corrected. It's something we all do. We bring our past into the present. And then we get all mixed up and we get confused. So we have to unpack and unbox. And so what scripture is really good at doing is trimming the limbs and the dead leaves off of our life. It sounds painful. And guess what? It is. But then you grow. Be healthier. Right. If any of you are into gardening or planting, you know that sometimes you have to 
prune a plant because it has limbs that are dying. And if you could, if that plant could talk, it would, ah, ah, right? It would scream as you did it. But you would have to reassure it. No, you will actually be healthier in the long run if you allow me to do this. God wants to prune you. And it could be painful. And you should be okay with that. Because it is God trying to make you better, more like Christ, healthier, submit to the pruning, allow him to do his work. Um, when I was saved, the only thing I knew about God, other than what I had learned in Sunday school, and I had forgotten all the verses that I had memorized as a kid. So I hope that these we continue, parents, that you're always working with your children so these things stay ingrained in their mind. But I knew like a few stories, but people would ask me to tell my testimony. They're like, Caleb, would you tell your testimony? Because I had, I, I had used the title atheist for my life for many years, though I, I think I used that more for the shock value than of like I was an actual atheist. Though I would say there was no God in my journal show that like, God, why have you abandoned me? I was awfully upset at a God I didn't believe in, right? Um, and I had been heavily involved in drugs. And so it, I, as a new believer, they would ask me, hey, would you come and tell your story? Come and tell your testimony. And that was quite difficult, right? It, it's like talking about a car accident you had just gotten in. The wounds were fresh. Now, I was excited about the work that God was doing, but I didn't like necessarily going back and revisiting and, but that was all I had. That was the only story I had about what I knew about God is what he had done in me. So I would tell that story. And I realized as I began to grow in my maturity in Christ, it should not bother me at all to talk about what God had done in my life. Because anytime I talk about the person I used to be, I'm not talking about who I am. I have been buried. That guy is Dead. I'm literally talking about somebody who doesn't exist anymore. I have a new heart, a new soul, a new mind. And guess what? I can talk about that old person all I want because you can't offend dead people. Right? You can't offend them. So I can tell old Caleb stories all day long. And I'm not going to upset old Caleb. Now, every now and then you get haunted by the ghost of the old you, don't you? That old you just tries to come up like a zombie out of the grave. It's October, so there's a lot of Halloween references in the sermons, I think, right? Uh, and so they, he tries to show up and haunt you. Yeah, but remember when you used to do this? You're probably still like that. You're still an awful person. God doesn't love you, right? And that old, and I just have to call Ghostbusters and tell them to go away because I have buried you. You were gone. You were no longer who I am. Thank you for laughing at my Ghostbusters. So I've been buried with him. You should long to be buried. Not of old age, but of old self. Long to be buried. Being buried in our culture sounds terrifying. But in the Christian world, being buried always has a positive connotation. My old self has been buried. Therefore, he can't bother me anymore. And then someday when this body is buried, I'm reunited with my Lord. So don't talk to me about the negative connotations of being buried. It's all good when you're a believer in Christ Jesus. But then there's more. There's uh, one of my favorite preachers. Uh, is a guy that's been gone for a while, Leonard Ravenhill. And I, I loved his passion and uh, his zeal that he had. But one day he had been a youth pastor and he went down and he gave... Uh, he started talking to the pastor 
And he says, I need to come forward. I need to come forward. He's like, but you're already a Christian. What is it you need? And what he says was, I need a Romans 6, 7 kind of faith. The preacher argued with him. He says, you mean Romans 6, 6. And we'll turn there because some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. He says, no, no, no. I want Romans 6, 7. If you got your Bible, turn to Romans 6. Slow down. You can't get there before me. That's cheating. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning that one of the greatest fear any preacher has is he tells you to turn somewhere and then he can't find it. It's, uh, it's, oh, someone stole that from my Bible. My dad actually has this problem because his Bible is so old that the pages are not in the order they're supposed to be in. So like he turns and then like a page just falls out and he just shoves it back in. So Genesis is in like 1 Corinthians. It's all, it's all a mess. But uh, that's a good type of Bible to have. This is Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, so when he came down and he's like saying, hey, I, I want a Romans 6, 7 kind of life. The pastor's like, no, you mean you want your old self to be gone? He's like, no, I want Romans 6, 7. Here's Romans 6, 7. For the one who has died has been set, what does your Bible say? Free from sin. See, if you're a Christian, you already have a Romans 6, 6. That the old self has been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ. It is not anymore. And now as a Christian, we want to go from Romans 6, 6 to Romans 6, 7. To where our sin has been paid for. We have been buried with Christ. Now I want freedom from sin. And that's what Leonard Ravenhill was saying. He says, I want to be set free. Because guess what? You can be a Christian and still be addicted to things. You can still be a slave to sin. You have the option not to be, but you could still have a drinking problem. Or you could go to websites that don't honor God or your marriage. You could have all sorts of money issues. And in those things, though, you have the, the prison cell gates are open. You've chosen to live in it and just decorate it until you feel more comfortable. And what every Christian should desire is to leave the cell of the old self. Because freedom and fulfillment is what Jesus is offering and it's very different than what the world looks like. I'm always careful when I use words like freedom and fulfillment. Like that means you're going to have your best life now. No, it's what Paul says that no matter what happens, I'm content because Jesus was all that I need in the first place. Just give me Jesus. I don't need your political parties. I don't need your money. I don't need all of the things the world says. I have to be involved in all of this stuff in order to find some kind of fulfillment. Just give me Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. I want you to say this really just so that you have ownership of this because I'm going to keep asking you this over the weeks. When I say Jesus plus nothing equals, you say everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Okay, I want us 
to believe that at the very core. Because adding anything to Jesus becomes saying that his sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient. That what Jesus did wasn't good enough. I've got to do something. I've got to dress the right way, talk the right way, be proper, and all this stuff. And then Jesus will actually love me. No, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. I'm saved from sin, but I want to be free from it as well. You are free now. You know what? Nothing scares the devil more than a free man who knows how to walk in his freedom. A free man who knows how to walk in his freedom. We can be saved, but you haven't learned how to be free. I, I think uh, a good example of this is the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus. So God rescues his people and he sets them free. And what's the very first thing that he kind of does is he gives them the Ten Commandments. Why? Why do you have to tell these people, hey, don't murder? Right? They're just walking around just stabbing people all day. They're like, what? what? We're not supposed to do that? Well, they grew up in a culture where that was okay. They had been slaves. They spent their whole day making bricks. And guess what? If you couldn't make bricks, you're not a person. You're a product. We will throw you away and replace you with another one. So all of their identity and all their value came from what they could do with their hands. And so the moment they could not work, they became worthless. Some of the guys in here feel that. As soon as you don't have a job or as soon as you're not doing something productive, you feel worthless. Well, that's because the world treats us like products and not like people. And so as God has set them free, he, he says, hey, this is how I want you to live because even though they're free, they don't know how to live like free people. If you've been a slave your whole life, what do you know of freedom? What do you know how to live like that? My wife and I, we, um, we have two pit bulls. And they were both rescues. One from the back of a truck at Walmart. So it's not like it's still a rescue to us, right? But our vet had called us and said, hey, we have a dog that... Um, had been left in a dumpster. It looks like his skull had been cracked a little bit. And we know you take such good care of your dog. We wanted to see if you wanted this one. Well, we had just lost a dog um, uh, to a, a sickness. And so I was heartbroken. I wasn't ready for another dog. And I said, no, we, we can't take it. And then the vet sent me a picture, and I'm a sucker. So as, I, as a kid, I would walk the neighborhood and I would come to the house and say, Mom, this dog followed me home. And they're like, that's the neighbor's dog. You stole it. Give it back. <laughs> Stop letting dogs out of the yard to, to come to your house. Like, they followed me. Well, he gave it treats. I'm like, come on, come on. And so I saw the picture and I rescued it. And just because it had been abused, I had to reteach it how to live. You have been set free. God is trying to reteach you how to live, reorient your, your priorities and your focus, your wants and your desires, your hopes and your dreams. Most of those you're bringing in from slavery and trying to apply it to Christianity. They don't apply. That's a different system. You're free now. And so you need to learn how to live like free people. Then he says, back to Colossians. stuff to preach. Let's go. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I just love that word all. Because I know there's some things that I'm like, of course God forgave me of that one. But the big one, sometimes we struggle with. You struggle with the big mistakes to believe that God actually forgives you of that. And that's why it's important to understand that he forgave you of all your trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Now, this is kind of uh, interesting. Uh, so in the time of Jesus, if you committed a crime, if, if you were like put in jail, they would, on the outside of the door, or sometimes on the door, they would have a list of all the things that you have done. Like, so everybody could walk by, could see all the things you have done. How would you like that, right? Um, in fact, today, as a special surprise, I picked four of you randomly, and I put all your sins that you've done up here. So let's go ahead with the first one. Some of y'all panicked, right? Uh, you can you imagine if you came to church and all the sins that you had committed were going to be available for everybody to read. None of us would be here, right? But that's what they would do as they were put in jail. All their sins, all the things they had done wrong had been put on there, and then their sentence. Five years, ten years, fifteen years, sometimes death. Now, if it was five years or ten years and you served your time, they would take your paper and they would write this word on it. And it's the word T-E-T-E-L-S-T-A-I, to telestai. And all it means is it comes from um, the verb telio, which means to complete or accomplish something. It's like, okay, you served your time to telestai. It's, it's taken care of. It's good. But what if your sentence was death? Because that's what scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. So that's our sentence. But Jesus, as he's on the cross, he says a word, it is finished. And that Greek word is one word, and where we separate and make it several words, it's one word, and it's the word to tell us It means the debt has been paid in full. It's mean whatever the punishment was, it has been accomplished. So your entire list of everything you've ever done wrong, Jesus crossed out your name, wrote his, and then on the cross, now to Telestai. It has been completed. And this is important because if your sentence was five years in the days of Jesus, and you served your five years, they're going to give you that sheet of paper with to Telestai written at the bottom. So you're going to a party, or you're going to go over to like somebody's house, and somebody's like, hey, aren't you that guy who did this thing? You can pull out your piece of paper, and you can say, actually, to Telestai. I'm not that guy anymore. I paid for my price, right? It has been completed. You can't hold that against me anymore. It's completed. So you as a believer, your long list of things that you've ever done wrong and are going to do wrong, all of your sins, Jesus has crossed out your name, put his, and through the cross, he writes to telestide on every single one of our hearts. It's the beauty of the gospel. It is finished. And when he says that in the Greek, it's, it's not in the past tense. It's not like one thing that happened. It's in the Greek perfect tense. And the Greek perfect tense means that it's something that happened in the past, but it's continuing to have effect for all eternity. It's like it happened, and it is still happening. God is still writing to Telestai at the end of people's crimes. And then verse 15 Verse 15 is a weird verse to have. One of, it's one of your favorite verses, but it's one of my favorite verses. 
It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. It's kind of a weird verse for a favorite verse. Right? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing. Oh, what does that mean? Why is, okay, why, why is that such a fun verse for you? I usually teach this on Easter. If you've been here on Easter, I, um, I, I rehash the same sermon every year for Easter because it's my favorite Easter sermon, right? Um, this idea, how does Jesus disarm the rulers and authorities? Well, what does Rome do to him? Rome throws at Jesus the greatest form of torture and death that humankind had ever invented and after three days, Jesus goes, is that all you got? What? That was it. So what good is a sword against a guy you can't kill? So all of the weapons that the world has, all of the power, the force, the anger, the hatred that the universe can muster, Jesus takes it on the cross and he goes, okay, that stuff is useless now because there's a different system at play. Your words, your swords, your weapons are useless against a guy you can't kill. So here's what I find fascinating about all this. There's two things that I have learned from this passage that Christ has set me free from. And I want you to track with this. Internal condemnation and external threats. So if I'm free from my past, and if it has been buried with Christ, then the internal condemnation that we all do, you are probably harder on yourself than anybody else is on you. There's exceptions to that. You might be around some really mean, ugly people who are just hard on you all day long, right? But for the most part, most of you are really hard on yourself. And there's a time where conviction is good. Conviction's supposed to lead you to holiness. Guilt can be good for a little bit to lead you to holiness, but oftentimes we live in that guilt. We don't know how to pass it on to Jesus so that we can continue in the freedom that he gave us. But I am free from that internal crucifixion because Jesus died for me. And I'm free from external threats because Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities. You can't do anything to a Christian. You can't bring accusations against him about his past. Right? Now you can hear his brothers and sisters. Sometimes we come together to correct each other. But I can never come and say, you're no good, you're worthless. Because we know that not to be true. But sometimes we have that internal attack against ourselves. Where we say, I am no good, I am worthless. But I'm free from that. And I'm also free from external threats. What happened to the disciples when they preached the gospel? They were killed for it, right? The early church, they were dipped in oil and lit on fire to, to, for a party, to light the party for Nero. Like, horrible things. And the church explodes. Why? Because people don't understand that kind of freedom. They go, so no matter what we do to these people, they're still okay. They still praise and worship God. That's the kind of freedom I want. So the external world cannot harm me, and I need to stop harming myself 
in a way that robs the truth of what Christ has done. If Christ has said, I am free, then I need to learn how to live free. And I need to stop making my own prisons and living there and acting like I can't get out. Christ has set us free. Uh, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars, he says, if you strike me down, I will only become more powerful. Right? What, happens, what happens if you threaten a Christian with his, his life if he continues to preach the gospel? Well, he gets to go home with Jesus. That sounds pretty great. So what good are the threats? And I, I say that because half of us act like we're afraid of the world. Half of us act like, like all the threats and all the fears that the world puts out there to kind of keep you tame and quiet, right? We're like, oh, we can't say that. We can't be vocal about Jesus because people might not like us. I'm like, well, so what? What can they do to you? The, the worst they can do is harm you physically, take your life, and that's not likely going to happen around here. But even so, if it did, you're like, you get to go home and be with Jesus? Tell me the bad part. Tell me the bad part. Inward condemnation, my sin, and outward condemnation, the world. I am free from both. Uh, I want to encourage you, and I should have had it up here on the screen so that you could write it down. Um, if you have pen and paper, write down that word to tell us something. If you, have, if, you, if you take notes, some of you take notes Sunday morning. I always encourage you guys because I don't remember what I preached last week. And sometimes I need to go back to my notes. And I go, there was something that God was using to really work in my heart, but I forgot it. So I always want to encourage you. Pen and paper, writing things down, helps the brain remember, helps you be able to go back and refresh your mind, right? But if you have pen and paper, write this. I'll spell it for you. T-E-T-E-L-S-T-A-I. T-E-T-E-L-S-T-A-I. S-T-A-I. Here's your homework for the week. When you get home, find a piece of paper, find an index card, write a few things about your past that you really struggle with. Put your name at the top, write out some of your sins. And at the bottom, just write to tell us that. And once you've done all that, I want you to cross your name out and just write Jesus name. Then put this somewhere, like on your mirror for when you get up in the morning, or in your car, as long as you're not a habitual speeder. Put it like there on your dash, right, covering your speedometer. <laughs> if you're a habitual speeder, find someplace else for it. I want you to know how fast you're going. Put it somewhere where you remind yourself that it is finished. It has been paid in full. And say, God, would you teach me how to live in this freedom that you have offered? I don't want to be a Christian who's been set free from my sin, but has now chosen slavery on my own. That has chosen to just go back to the things that I know imprison me, I know harm me, I know flow into negative ways on those around me. I find this all the time. Do you think your sin only affects you? Even your secret sins overflow into the people around you. They can make you bitter. They can make you angry. They can make you frustrated. Just give you a bad attitude. The same is true of the gospel. If you let the love and the peace and grace of Christ 
take, like just live in your heart, that flows out too. And all of a sudden, the people around you, they get just a taste. Scripture says, come and taste that the Lord is good. Some, some of your neighbors, your coworkers, it is your peace and your freedom. They're going to go, wow, how do they live that way? That today's church and today's Christians, we fully believe and we fully trust that God has paid the price for our sins. But we forget the verse that says it is for freedom that you have been set free. Scripture says for freedom you have been set free. And we're supposed to spend the rest of our lives learning how to live in that kind of freedom. We don't know how. We don't know how because we just live in the same prison we always have. But through reading scripture, studying together, praying, communion, God will begin the process of setting you free. It can be painful at times. Isn't it weird how we grow to love our prisons? It's weird, isn't it? That's an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> it's an abusive relationship with our sin. It hurts us, harms us, and then it tells us it loves us. And we believe it and go right back. Sin is an abuser. Christ offers us freedom. I'm going to pray. We'll have a time of response. As always, the, the altar is open if you need to come and do some business with Jesus. If you need to come and prayer, I'm down here. If you want me to come and pray with you, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to ask the band to come up here and play. After they're done, we take communion together. We take communion together every week. Because it was a reminder of the price that was paid to set us free. I, I think everyone here just wants a little bit more freedom. I think we would all agree with that. My dad grew up in the 60s and it was the freedom movement. All it did was just create more chains. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free.